Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Memories of bygone USC New Year's Bowl games. Is the NCAA transfer portal the USC answer? Oklahoma fans still in a complete Lincoln Riley meltdown. Troubles at linebacker for the 2022 Trojans? Looking for a running back? That's what's out there. Who's it going to be for the Trojans? And Slovis heads to the Steel City. Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to We RSC's Inside the Trojan Huddle, week number 15. Inside the Trojan Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with We RSC columnists and staff writers. We start with the pregame show. That's the introduction of our staff. The pregame show is uh, upon the staff members. Uh, we will then go on to the latest news, and there is some latest news, but let's first meet the panel. Mark Culkin, We RSC columnist who writes the Monday morass, yay or nay, Sunday takeaways, in addition to regular season practice reports. Chris Arledge, former William Jewell star college defensive back and team captain, and we are SC columnist who writes the popular column Musings with Arledge. And it's great to have back Kevin Bruce, former all-conference linebacker and team captain for the 1975 USC Trojans. We are SC columnist who writes the defensively and offensively speaking after every game. Me, I'm just Greg Katz. We are SC columnist who writes the obvious, not so obvious, and the IMHO Sunday, and I'll be your host and moderator. So before we get started, here's the latest USC football news. Sunday evening, former Virginia starting offensive left tackle Bobby Haskins, 6'7", 290, an all-ACC honorable mention selection announced uh, on social media. He'd be attending USC. He will have one season remaining of eligibility on Christmas Eve. I'm sure that many of you are aware of it. 
Uh, class of 2023 five-star receiver Zachariah Branch of Las Vegas Bishop Gorman announced that he will be joining his brother, class of 2022 safety Zion Branch at USC. The younger Branch joins class of 223 star five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson and five-star receiver Makai Lemon. And USC's Trojans junior outside linebacker defensive end Drake Jackson has publicly hired Agent Drew Rosenhaus as his representative. Jackson has still, to my knowledge, our knowledge, made no formal announcement that he's entering the draft, but one would suspect since he's got an agent, we can know where he's headed. Also, senior inside linebacker Kanai Malga, 2021 All-Pac-12 honorable mention selection announced last week. He's entering into the NFL draft. And last but not least, uh, former USC quarterback Keaton Slovis announced that he will be transferring to the University of Pittsburgh. So that is the latest news. It could be happening just as we speak. Anyway, as we move along, first quarter. All right, panel. Let's begin with USC's New Year's Eve and bowl game memories. Uh, Panel, we ask that you speak to your favorite USC New Year's Eve, uh, which may be separate than the bowl game, but if it uh, resembles uh, something to do with USC. And what is your USC New Year's bowl game memory? Mark, let's start with you. Give us a New Year's Eve and then a bowl game memory. I actually have two separate events. Uh, We'll go with my favorite New Year's Eve. And the reason it it has to do with USC is they didn't play in a bowl game that year. It was uh, 1983 going into 1984. Ted Tolner led us to what? Four, six, and one, I believe was their record. I decided I'm going to go get sauced. I'm 16 years old. First time going to get drunk. I'm out on a boat in Long Beach Marina couple of bottles of Mad Dog 2020, and I forgot about that entire season. So it, it was it was productive. As far as my favorite New Year's, we'll call it New Year's Day bowl game because they don't really play it on New Year's Day anymore. There's so many Rolls Bowls that we can choose from. Taylor Mays taking out of taking out of half of Penn State's offense with one hit. Obviously the Sam Darnold setting up Matt Bormeister's Penn State defeat. So those are two really good games. But for me, I'm going to go back to 55-19. Let's just uh, stay with the stay on Oklahoma tangent. Uh, this show, I have a feeling we're going to be going that direction a lot. To know that you know John Saunders is introducing the game with neither team is going to defeat each other by their 23 point game average. I think was what they said. To see that final score and, and the way the game just went on, and to, and to hear the stories in hindsight afterwards. You know, the players saying, hey, you know, I wish they would just run the ball so the clock would end. Yeah, that's probably my favorite USC memory from a from a New Year's Day type of bowl. Okay, real good. Uh, all right, uh, Chris, what, what is your favorite New Year's Eve memory of that relates to USC? And what is your favorite USC bowl game memory? You know, I wish I had some exciting and uplifting stories of juvenile delinquency that I could share with you. <laughs> but... Um, but I don't. I don't have. I don't have a New Year's Eve memory. New Year's Eve has never done anything for me, and um, so I don't have anything for you. But here's what I do have. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk about New Year's memory. First of all, it's hard to beat 55-19. Uh, I don't think I can do that. But I think my favorite um, New Year's memory, other than that, probably goes back to the first Rose Bowl I watched USC play, which was uh, actually in the Ted Tolmer years. Uh, and it was against Ohio State, Mike Tomzak and Keith Byers. That was the first USC team that I had followed closely. I was 10 or 11 at the time. I can't remember. 
And, and I remember Byers had a long run down to maybe the five-yard line, three-yard line to start the game. Ohio State was higher, was a higher-rated team. They were favored. Um, and, uh, and USC really took it to them, especially defensively, the rest of the game. That was the first Rose Bowl that I ever saw USC win. Uh, and I was still young enough to, um, uh, to not be jaded and cynical. Uh, and, and so it was just pure joy. So I loved that game, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. Now I have a I have we're gonna to get to Kevin right now, but I have a feeling I know what he's gonna say. Actually, I hope he does say it, at least the game part of it. And uh we'll see how it chimes in. But Kev, you're you participated in Rose Bowl games, so I don't know what your memory is of a New Year's Eve, but maybe it's connected to the team somehow, and then your favorite New Year's uh, bowl game. Uh, yeah, New Year's Eve story. Does not include Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> not, not that it couldn't have, but I just <laughs> I couldn't afford Mad Dog 2020. Um, I didn't re- have a very clear recollection as uh, some number of years ago when uh, USC was playing Iowa in the Orange Bowl. I was flying back from Europe. I was had been assigned uh, for a while out there. Uh, working in in, uh, in Europe in different categories. Anyway, I was flying back, wanted to catch the game, but couldn't. So, ironically, the flight path that my uh, airliner was on went right, purposefully, according to the pilot, right over, that's a good thing because he's flying the airplane, but right over the uh, Orange Bowl. And I remember looking down, I could see the lights, I couldn't see what play was being run or what was going on, but as much as I would have liked to, but I, I do recall uh, that was probably a New Year's Day, but for me it was New Year's uh, you know, Day plus one, or to me it was evening. And uh, I remember saying, wow, that, boy, I wish I could be there for that one. And as it turned out, SC really uh, hammered uh, not just Iowa, but but really showed what, that what was coming in the next several years with uh, Pete Carroll teams. My favorite New Year's um, game which was not played on New Year's uh, Day. It was played on, because uh, that fell on a Sunday. We didn't play on Sundays. Not because of religious reasons, because the NFL had a contract, is my recollection. Was the uh, 75 uh, USC Ohio State game, which I, I'm sure Greg is, is uh, very, uh, has good recollections of that as well. We played a um, uh, highly ranked Ohio State uh, team. We, I remember standing on the sideline just before the uh, opening kickoff. I was a junior. <clears throat> I was a junior at the time, and uh, I, we, many of us were waiting to see what Woody Hayes was going to do on the sideline, who he was going to punch. Frankly, and it was a cameraman, and the cameraman went flying. We just thought it was fantastic. I have to tell you, uh, not that we have anything against cameramen, but it was just like, what's Woody going to do? Boy, he 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 could bring it a big time. And that was a kind of the pregame start of the whole the whole day, and it was just it was a crazy game. We um, uh, it started off with uh, some uh, caused a fumble. Otha Bradley recovered it. That was great. That was a highlight, you know. And then uh, I think literally the very next offensive play, uh, Anthony Davis fumbled it back uh, about on the four yard line, and then we couldn't we didn't hold him at the uh, out of the end zone. I remember uh, making a uh, pretty noble attempt to tackle their fullback out of a full house backfield and 
uh, regrettably, <laughs> I didn't have enough mass in the ass to take care of uh, the whole situation. So I ended up uh, making the tackle, but a, a yard and a half deep in the end zone, which doesn't do you a heck of a lot of good. Uh, later on, I, I uh, caused a fumble, stripped uh, uh, um, Archie Griffin, stood him up, ripped a ball out of his his arms, and he had never fumbled. He had fumbled once, I think, the entire year. I think that day he fumbled two or three times. And um, it was a good thing because, frankly, there's a lot of that game we played. We were, we were just playing crappy. We were, I mean, defensively, we, we played okay, played pretty well. We held them to, you know, 17 points. So it wasn't, you know, you know, a lousy effort, but it was just things were just out of sync. The offense toward the end of the first half, we put a field goal up on the on the board and uh, but it was offsides on Ohio State. So coach who was a gunslinger, people don't realize that about Coach McKay, but when it came to bowl games, fourth down didn't matter, third down didn't matter, you know, taking points off the board didn't matter. He was going for the juggler every play, every day. And so he took the points off the board and, and went for uh, uh, a couple passes in the end zone. Didn't work out. Okay, so we line up Chris Lee Mahalo again, and he misses it. Actually, he misses it badly. It wasn't like – I'm not even sure it was in the right zip code. And uh, so we ended up taking three points off the board and losing three points. So, uh, anyway, the um, game uh, continues on. Uh, we go in at halftime, and, and boy, it's, it's physical, let me tell you. I, you know, Notre Dame was always very physical, very dirty, very physical. It was fine. So we were dirty too. I don't care. Whatever. Fine. Um, but Ohio State was also very physical, also very dirty. But, you know, that's just the way it is. It's, you know, in the trenches, things get, things happen. And they, I, to my knowledge, they still do. Right. So um, it gets down into the last uh, several minutes. Uh, the offense finally gets something going. And by the way, we were running the fullback uh, in the A gaps, uh, Dave Farmer. Ricky Bell predominantly, mostly, mostly Tatupu a little bit, and just ripping off huge gains uh, with uh, fullback uh, belly plays that Iowa State was not prepared for. And they had they made some adjustments uh, late in the first quarter and slowed that down. That opened up the, uh, the tailback. But then, regrettably, Anthony Davis got his ribs hurt. He couldn't play, and so uh, we had to go uh, with uh, – um, you know, our, our second and third team, both uh, at uh, tailback, which was, you know, turns out that they actually were pretty darn good. So um, it's a, a good thing you have some depth on the team. Uh, but anyway, last few minutes, I'm going a little long and I apologize, but last few minutes, the offense gets gets the ball uh, from, well, from us, but uh, via punt. And uh, the uh, we get the ball down the field, you know, they're moving the ball a little bit, you know, throwing the passes now. So we're making, you know, chunk plays and then bang. I mean, out of, I'm telling you out of nowhere because it wasn't like a sustained drive. It wasn't like, Oh yeah, we're just going to march down the field. we got it going. we got pass. we got play action. We have this, we have that. Everything's working. Everything was not working. I'm telling you the offense really had some struggles and then got going and didn't get to do penalties and, mistakes and you know turnovers it was it was a sloppy game by both teams frankly and uh bang and then there goes uh Hayden to McKay boom right corner of the end zone and um uh touchdown and it was like oh great you know well we all knew that any of us that 
played any amount of time with Coach Perry, knew we were going for two points. So, um, yeah, so, you know, had a little huddle on the sideline. I wasn't in it. You know, I was just kind of at the periphery, just kind of looking in. So, like, oh, what are they going to do? You know, and it's like they're going to, you know, Z-drag, uh, you know, Y-up, uh, you know, which basically is a rollout. It's supposed to be a rollout. And uh, so that's uh, that was the play that was uh, ultimately called. And uh, uh, Hayden rolls out, and he's got a guy right on him. I mean, right on him. He has no chance to roll out. He'd be lucky to get rolled up. And uh, he just takes a fraction of a second and just guns the ball. And here comes Shelton Dig in the back of the end zone. That's your Z back, by the way. Here comes your Z back, or bang, right in the breadbasket. And uh, and Shelton gets the two-point conversion. That's 18-17, but that's not the end of the game. There's not quite three minutes left, maybe two minutes and a half. We have to hold them. And uh, so we do a pretty good job on defense, but there were some tri- there were some plays. There were some, you know, one tackle away from breaking some things open with the, their quarterback, Cornelius Green. He was always a threat to run the ball. But once the clock became our friend, we really had to throw the ball more, which ultimately became uh, – uh, our, our friend, we had some good, uh, played some good, you know, uh, pass defense, uh, taking away what we knew that uh, was going to be a field goal coming because uh, they weren't going to get a touchdown deep on us. In those days, we actually put the safeties deep, just saying, okay? Uh, so it's like really difficult to, to like, you know, lob one over the uh, safeties' heads. Uh, I'll send that page of the playbook to the uh, Lincoln Riley staff, but I suspect they already have that one. So um, we're just trying to prevent a field goal because, because Iowa State had a guy named Skladani who was just a heck of a kicker. I think he was a refugee from the, the communist bloc. And he was happy to be anywhere, frankly, and he could kick the ball, let me tell you. So um, anyway, we end up uh, stopping it, but it was close. There was a third and third nine, and guy got, you know, like nine point, you know, one yards. It's like, oh, man, come on. We can do better than that. So they line up for a 63-yard field goal, 64 maybe. Trust me, this guy could hit that. And he just had a boom, uh, a bomb for a leg. So we put Charlie Phillips in the end zone underneath the uh, crossbar. Because Charlie, we knew, could you know get above the crossbar. And if, he could, if the ball was close, he, he could knock it away if he had to. Uh, fortunately, he did end up catching it about you know three or four yards in front of the crossbar. The, ball, the kick was short. And ultimately, time expired, and bang, uh, we're 18-17. We win. They lose. Oh, by the way, that's a national championship later that day as Notre Dame kept their promise made in Pasadena, California, to yours truly and others, that they would be the only other, only other undefeated team that wasn't on probation, Oklahoma, uh, which was Alabama. And uh, Notre Dame defeated Alabama in the Orange Bowl, and we're the last man standing national championship, number two for Kevin and the team. So, uh, in just those uh, three short years, fantastic game. It was everything spent, everything. I had cuts over both eyes, both required stitches. Uh, and I was, you know, fairly magnanimous after the game, which is not like me at all. And I went to the Ohio State locker room, pound on the door. I asked the, uh, to see uh, number 73, whoever that was. Well, it turns out it's a guy named Schumacher. who was a three-time All-American. But anyway, 
I never paid attention to any of that. And he was going against me the whole day. And it was head to head. It was grabbing, poking, jabbing, stomping. I mean, just you name it. So he comes, he come, and of course, Ohio State's not real happy with that finish. But I just wanted to say, you know, it was a heck of a game. That guy was as good as anybody I ever played against. Actually, he's probably the best I ever played against, uh, directly one-on-one. And he comes to the door with his uh, kind of blazer half on, half off, and I got mine on, kind of half on, half off, because that was as good as I, I could bend my shoulders at that time. And um, he's got cuts over both eyes. We just hammered the crap out of each other. It was brutal. And that was just uh, ultimately, um, it's okay to have cuts over both your eyes if it's you got the 18, the other guy's got the 17. <laughs> well, I tell you, what a great memory, especially uh, to hear it from someone that played in the game. Uh, I have two quick ones, really. Uh, what I used to do when I was uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, I would go to the Ambassador Hotel. Uh, in downtown Los Angeles, because that's where Ohio State's fraternities and sororities would meet, and they'd have this big, big party at nine o'clock, which was 12 o'clock Ohio time. So they'd start celebrating New Year's Eve at nine o'clock. And I remember walking into this giant ballroom, and the place was, it looked like, some, I, I, this sounds really bad, but it looked like something out of a third world country. They're these enormous, enormous black and white pictures like something you'd see from World War II in Germany of Woody Hayes. And they were like, it was like an altar. And they're just, and then there was pictures of Kurt Schumacher, the tackle that Kevin went against, and kicker Tom Sladaney, uh, who was the great kicker for Ohio State. And they would sing, uh, uh, we don't give a damn about the whole state of Michigan, whole state of Michigan, the whole state of Michigan. We don't give a damn about the whole state of Michigan. We're from Ohio and that kind of just burned into my brain to feel the intensity of Ohio State and Michigan when you're getting ready for a Rose Bowl game was somewhat comical to me. It's like they were so fixated on Michigan. Well, you know, when you grow up in Southern California, for those of you that are not from our area, we really pay very, I won't say we paid little attention to what happens, maybe more today because of media, <clears throat> but in those days, you know, you'd watch very limited games on Channel 7, and you'd always see Ohio State and Michigan, but you couldn't really grasp just how much it meant to both those states. I mean, we had SC and UCLA, which is intense, but just to see in that Ambassador Hotel the size of those player pictures, the whole ballroom was was in red and, and, and scarlet. Uh, it was unbelievable. That was in uh, 1969, I think, that that was the one that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but I was at the 75 Rose bowl game where Kevin was, was playing. And I can just remember the fourth quarter and I'm sitting on about the 20 yard line on the USC side, the opposite side, really from where uh, Diggs caught the, or McKay caught the big touchdown pass and Diggs a two point. And my biggest memory, I don't know why I, I just loved offensive linemen. I just, I just enjoyed watching the precision, the violence, the whole thing. It was like, to me, it was like gladiators. And the thing I always remembered was just in that fourth quarter when it was on our side of the field where I could really see it. I'll never forget Bill Bain was just an animal. I mean, he was, he was a guy that started his career in Colorado, uh, 
irony has it that when I went into teaching, one of my principals was Bill Bain's sister. And so we used to, and she would, she talked like she had been an assistant coach at USC. We used to have some great discussions, but I'll never forget that Bain came out of the huddle and he goes up and he, you know, they're going to run. And like Kevin says, it was a very tough sledding against Ohio state on the ground. And uh, I just saw Bain unload with a forearm at this guy's helmet. And I saw the head snap back. And then I saw Bain, who was at that time was a huge offensive lineman, uh, maybe 285, 290. And he put this Ohio State defensive player on, on his back and he drills him. I mean, he just drills him. And I'm watching and I could have swore I saw I took his fist and just rammed it in this guy's chest. And I, I said to who I was with, a buddy of mine, I said, you know, they're really playing for a kids. Did you just see that? And from that point on, for that drive, I was just watching it. Now, when, when the long pass to McKay took place, all I saw was McKay uh, or uh, Hayden drop back and throw the ball in the air, and everybody stood up. And the next thing I know, bedlam, bedlam. It was just incredible, bedlam. Yeah. Then the, the thing I do remember is the two-point conversion. What I remember about Hayden, which was amazing, and then I, I collaborated with the, with the video, was when he ran the two-point conversion, he rolled half-roll to his right, and he really was going to get stuck. And he almost threw what would be tantamount in basketball uh, to uh, a jump pass. Okay. It's like he got up in the air and was releasing the ball. And uh, it was like he knew he's going to get the crap knocked out of him. And then to see Diggs, who I had saw in high school, most people don't realize it, but Sheldon Diggs, I saw him at San Bernardino play. He was actually a tailback. And uh, to, when they moved him to wide receiver, it was like, wow, you're going to move him to wide receiver? Because he wasn't small. He was like 6'2", 6'3", uh, in that area. And uh, when he made that catch, it was crazy. And I, and I was at the end where Sladeni was attempting the 63-yard field goal. And it was, you know, it was really intense time. He kept saying, hey, no way he's going to hit a 63-yard field goal. But you know what? He had a cannon for a leg. So those are those are my two memories. Uh, I'm sure folks that are listening have theirs. But uh, it's great that you can even have memories. Uh, like this, and, uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll have a few more. I'm, uh, I didn't want to touch on the Oklahoma thing uh, because I didn't want to get more Oklahoma people upset, although we appreciate their viewership, I will tell you, for our numbers. All right, let's get to the second quarter here. Panel, we talked earlier about uh, USC getting a transfer from Virginia, offensive tackle uh, Haskins. Uh, in your opinions, uh, how big a part will the NCAA transfer portal play in filling out the 2000? 22 Trojan roster and can the Trojans win in the present and the future with a large abundance of portal transfers? Kevin, your thoughts on that? They're going to have to, I think they can, um, you know, it takes five or six extraordinary players right now. Um, I am delighted to see that uh, coach Riley is uh, clearing the house out of guys that just, apparently didn't want to play USC football. And if you doubt what I'm saying, just watch the Cal game. Watch the 46 guys that didn't even bother to show up. Look, I don't cannot understand that. I, don't, I know the game didn't count for anything other than it's a football game. You should love football. You get a chance to wear the Cardinal goal and you go play a game. we got guys that just took a dive. Um, I don't see that many of them are going to have a place uh, in the future. And therefore, others will. Some of these freshmen that uh, I think are very talented should have had more playing time this season. Why not? I mean, my gosh, you know, 
Um, and they're going to come in handy uh, in certain positions, uh, in, maybe especially at linebacker, inside linebacker roles. Uh, but the portal is going to help us uh, with some key guys. There'll be five or six really good gets. Um, I think the uh, offensive tackles a good get, maybe a little underweight, but he's got the, the, the length that, uh, that you need for offensive tackle purposes. And uh, we're going to need some depth on the, uh, on the O-line. We've got, some, we've got some flexibility, but we need talent and we need some, uh, we need some road graders up front. And uh, they're going to come from somewhere. And uh, you don't make those overnight. We saw a couple freshmen try to play uh, this year uh, in the O-line. And like many other o- uh, freshman O-line guys, they uh, had a real – on a good day, it was a mixed bag, right? But they got a lot of, uh, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, experience, which hopefully is good experience, not experience in being bad, but experience in what it takes to win games. The portal is going to be a big deal. But the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. So we're going to lose some guys too. Beyond what we have already declared, I think uh, that's always going to be a, uh, a situation when, when you demand a lot from players. And now they have an, an option. When I was playing, well, I had no option. I mean, you, you know, just, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, was a good answer, you know, um, to Coach McKay. And uh, uh, now, I don't know, you got a, you got a portal uh, opportunity. You got guys that are declaring for the uh, draft or, yeah, pretty much when you get an agent, you're you're going to go to the NFL, or he's he's going into Hollywood and he's, he's going to try to uh, you know make a movie, uh, make a career in the movies. Uh, either way, he's not playing college football anymore. Uh, Drake Jackson, so that that position has to be replaced. Which, frankly, yeah, that they got that had got that position was so neutered. Um, fine, you know, we'll get somebody else. No, no, no worries on that. Anyway, I went a little long on that, but the portal has a uh, a mixed bag. But we're gonna we're gonna get those five or six good players in key positions, maybe a few more. I I, I don't know. I think that's a lot to get out of the portal because the quality guys get snapped up in a lot of different opportunities. Right now, we're the number one target school. There's no question, number one program uh, to go to right now. Well, I tell you what, um, Mark. Uh, let's get your thoughts on that. Do you like the portal? Uh, are they gonna really dive into it this time and is that a uh kind of a uh, foreshadowing the future what are your thoughts my opinion of a portal aside because uh, i think that's a whole nother topic for discussion um if we take lincoln riley at his word yeah they're going to be using a portal a lot i mean at his early signing period presser you know he was talking 30 to 40 players now again I, he didn't really put any context around that. How many of those 30 to 40 players was he replacing were already moving on um, versus him asking, why don't you move on? I don't know if that number is going to be that high. Um, you know, Kevin brought up the offensive line group. They're returning five players with a lot of starting experience. And, you know, yeah, they didn't perform great, but, I think we saw market improvement in that group last year. So we hope that, uh, you know, if Josh Henson is the new offensive line coach, as we've been told, uh, he's going to be able to take that group, take, um, you know, this young man from Virginia and and just add more experience depth to what we already have. So that's a good move there. Um, I don't know how many more offensive linemen you're going to want to go 
get out of the portal, maybe another one, two at the most, because there's still some good recruits out there that I think USC is in line for uh, in the 2022 class. Uh, so uh, as far as where they should really emphasize the portal, as far as going to get players, uh, defensive line, and particularly at linebacker. Um, that's an interesting position. You know, you brought up Drake Jackson. I, I think we will agree that he's probably gone because he signed an agent. Um, but in today's day and age, who knows um, what that really means? You're allowed to do that now. So um, if, you know, they can convince him, hey, come back and improve your stock, I don't think that's going to happen, but you never know. But linebacker, you know, we haven't heard players like Solomon Tulia Solo say he's leaving yet. Good job. Yeah, quick say. I'm not, I didn't want to butcher. The got name. out of that one. Yeah, I didn't want to butcher the name, and I shouldn't because I love the guy as a player. Um, you still have players like Taylor Katoa, who I, hasn't said I'm leaving yet. Um, there's a lot of players in there that you know they haven't contributed, but you haven't heard names out there in the portal yet either. So does that mean they're playing in their bowl game still? Who knows. I mean, you've got players who are opting out of the Rose Bowl now. So it's, yeah, I think we'll see names starting to come and go within the next week. I just don't know what that number is going to be. I don't think it's going to be 30. I think it's probably going to be somewhere closer into that 20 range. I got to tell you, anybody didn't, who opts out of the Rose Bowl, um, I'm not sure I'd want them on my, on my team. Well, I've been having this semi-argument on Twitter, you know, and I'm sorry, but – there was someone actually making the argument, though. That's what millionaires do, is they don't play in exhibition games. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's fine. Football but, are essentially also. The only millionaires that played in a Rose Bowl are the ones that uh, were millionaires afterwards. Yeah, like I said, it's the fact that players are now opting out of the Rose Bowl. I'm not talking about the Sun Bowl. We're talking about prestigious exhibition games. And the college football playoffs are exhibition games for all intents and purposes you're not getting paid to play in those either well, hopefully so, you're not being paid to play in any of them uh, well at least for, by today's rules i look you are now too. Yeah. yeah exactly you are now all right, let's go let's move on to chris what, what what is your thoughts you've heard uh some of the other panelists here what, what they what they think of it uh what 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 is your expectation Lincoln Riley doesn't uh, expect to lose over the next two years. And that's what he would do if he didn't uh, bring in some high level talent uh, from the portal. If it's just going to be high school kids, he has a small class this year, a couple of years ago, we had a disastrous class. So if he were only going to build the team through, through traditional recruiting, uh, he's going to have a, a tough next couple of years. He's already made clear that's not his intent. He says, he says it's going to be turned around quickly. Mel Tucker, Michigan State, showed you what you can do, right? He completely built, rebuilt the Michigan State roster in a single offseason through the portal. Uh, you know, they finished nine and three and were uh, at least a good football team. I don't know they were great, but they were good. The year before, they were terrible. So he's already shown how, how it can be done. Riley's going to have to do it. I think next year's team could be more than competent offensively with the talent they have and the kid from Virginia. Uh, I think that gives you enough offensive linemen. I think with, uh, with Jackson Dart, uh, with the running backs on, and receivers on the roster, coached by maybe the best offensive coach in college football, the offense I think would be okay right now. The defense is a mess. You have a single proven championships uh, level player on that front seven. That's Thule, and that's it. 
There are other guys that may become very good players. Rayshon Davis may be a great player. Corey Foreman may turn out to be a great player. Although, although I would say that after watching him last year, you did not get the impression from him that he is as physically gifted as we had anticipated. But I remember when I saw Chris Claiborne for the first time in the Coliseum. You look at that guy as a true freshman. Think, holy smokes! That that's a that's a dude right there, right? Yeah, um, let me, and, and and Chris similarly, Willie McGinnis as a freshman was like, Willie McGinnis. Yeah, that's a first round guy. He didn't he hadn't even stepped on the practice field. Like, oh, that's a first round guy. Yeah, frankly, Reggie and Lindell a little bit. I think he was against uh, against Hawaii that year when they were freshmen, and Lindell had a run where he went probably 25, 30 yards, and he dragged three guys, and you thought. Okay, that guy, that guy can play, right? You didn't get that from Corey Foreman. He may turn out to be a really good football player. But I'm just saying, in terms of proven championship-level talent, you've got one dude. So he's going to have to go to the board on the front seven. He's going to have to. Otherwise, that defense is going to be a mess again. Yep. Uh, and I suspect he'll do it. I mean, it must be a pretty appealing place for guys who um, are looking to play at, uh, on, a, on a slightly bigger stage. We've already been denied um, by a couple of guys, though, in, from the portal on that side of the ball. So it's a well, not, not everybody. I mean, not everybody's going to choose you. And if you're and, and look, if you have a single year left, like the kid from uh, uh, from Nevada, had, you have a single year left and that's it. And your defensive coordinator is going to Washington State. And you know that he's going to, to to put you on the field. I get that. I mean, um, but I, I suspect there are plenty of guys who look at it and say, I'm going to be on the field and I'm going to be a superstar. And I think we'll see them. Uh, I think we'll see them show up. I'll just say, if we don't see him show up, Lincoln Riley better do a heck of a job with that offense because that defense with the returning talent is a disaster. Oh, you got to totally rebuild the entire, not just the defense. That's almost true, but you got to rebuild the entire secondary. However, the guys in the secondary that are, uh, have left and have or declared their intentions to leave, uh, okay. See you later. I wish you well. And I truly mean that. I do wish them well. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad those positions are available for competition to see who, who else we can get into those roles because our secondary was atrocious this year. Now, I could make that claim for a lot of positions, frankly, but uh, the secondary was asleep at the switch uh, with a few exceptions, Bullock being one, uh, Caleb, um, one of my favorites. And um, uh, and a few others, but it's going to have to be built from within and from without. So that's, it's a combination of portal plus the young youngsters that didn't get a lot of playing time as I thought they should have um, stepping up and, and playing some defense. Chris is right. The defense is, is a total jump ball right now. And um, it's uh, um it's going to be a piece of work to get it right. It really is. And by the way, I was explaining this to somebody uh, just a little while ago that if you, if you didn't like Orlando's defense, we'll get ready for Orlando 2.0, hopefully done right, because that's a, a fair amount of what you're going to see uh, from uh, 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 Grinch is the um, a similar look uh, and feel with respect to uh, the defensive scheme how it sets up and how the personnel packages are put together will be very different, of course. And I think therein is part of the answer. The rest of the answer is intensity. You can't play defense uh, with your, your mind uh, split in different directions. You've got to be totally focused. 
and you have to know your assignments and you have to be intense as all get out. You just have to be as brutal because if you're not, you're going to get killed. Chris, is there anything else you want to add uh, before I give my two cents? You okay? Oh, no, I want to hear your two cents. Well, I'm, you're lucky. That's all I have is two cents. Um, I don't think the end, I think the portal's a stopgap measure. I think you, you know, look, at, we know the players that are departing USC for the portal and we know why they're departing for the portal. Uh, that, that's not exclusive. I mean, you, there's players all in the portal that have a lot of the same reasons and everybody knows them. Um, I think that, you know, you got to remember that Hankins was a three-star offensive lineman coming out of high school in Princeton, New Jersey. And uh, yes, he's, uh, you know, he's going to, he's a veteran. He's, he's gotten some really uh, interesting quotes from his Virginia line coach, and he's got some interesting uh, takes from his teammates. So we're going to take that at uh, face value. Uh, but my feeling is, is in the long haul, I don't see the uh, portal as I think Alabama does it right because they can afford to do it right. Uh, they pick and choose. There's some guys in the portal that really are good. The linebacker that they got from Tennessee, uh, he stepped right in. That's good. Uh, but, you know, even Alabama loses guys to the portal. Uh, SC picked up a defensive lineman from the portal from Alabama. We have yet to see uh, Shopshire even play it down. Right. So, you know, it's kind of a little bit to me of a crapshoot. But uh, overall, I think when Lincoln Riley builds his uh, roster stock full of high school prospects and then kind of fills in the gaps here and there, I think it'll be more workable. Uh, you know, we're all hoping that obviously when you have a large roster to fill, apparently he's going to have, uh, it's going to be full of uh, portal guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the mention of uh, Mel Tucker at, uh, at Michigan state's a good example, I think, to, uh, to look, I think the PAC 12 conference, honestly, it's not the big 10 at the moment. So, you know, they might be able to, to win a division who knows, but, uh, in the long run, I think it's a short, the stopgap measure. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, I do feel this way for the first time in a long time. I think when they go in the portal, they will not be getting schlock coming to USC. I think with Lincoln Riley and I think uh, the reputation, they'll probably be able to get people. Uh, I don't know if I would use the cream of the crop for the portal, but they're certainly right in the mix with a lot of these guys. And like Mark pointed out, look, there's not everybody's going to go to USC. Uh, there are exceptions. The linebacker that, you know, is going to Washington state because his coach is going there. So, you know, there's going to be a little bit of disappointment in that, but. Elias Overall, Ricks. yes, Mark. Elias Ricks. I, I mean, the point I was trying to make is, you know, the other thing that Lincoln Riley was talking about going into the portal, he wants a certain type of player. You know, so how much time is he going to have to evaluate the personality of that player? Just because they're a name doesn't mean they fit the personality of the culture that he wants. So that's what I was trying to get to before we. No, I think your point is well taken. I think. You got to, if you're going to change the culture, you don't bring in guys that are going to be a problem. Uh, you got to bring in the right guys that are going to fit in. And, you know, for one year, what, what if I'm a player, one year, why am I going to play a, another year, one year? Probably to try to get the NFL to look at me. The last thing I want to do is take plays off and do those sort of things. So you're going to have an enthusiastic player, uh, and they'll have done their homework to see uh, if that's the player they want as part of their new culture. So with that, Let's go to halftime. Now, this one will, I'm sure, get a lot of listeners and viewers' uh, uh, minds thinking. So, panel, 
What are your thoughts on Oklahoma fans' continued meltdown of Lincoln Riley going to USC? I can't think of a better person to start this discussion off than uh, Mr. Musings over there, uh, Chris Arledge. Uh, can you give us your overview of this meltdown uh, from Norman, Oklahoma? I have two thoughts. Number one is I'm enjoying it immensely. I have a lot of ties to Oklahoma. I know a lot of Oklahoma football fans, and this is fun, right? <laughs> but let me, let's talk about why it's fun. Um, some years ago when, uh, when Nebraska played at the Coliseum, and they brought, I don't know, 30,000 fans maybe, I was, I was there at a, at a tailgate talking to a Nebraska fan, and I was complimenting him on, on, on their fans. I mean, they sell out every game. They brought 30,000 people to L.A., uh, I told him that I had played a game in college in Nebraska uh, on, on a Nebraska game day, too. And everywhere I looked, everybody was was head to toe in red. And he said, he said, yes, football is very important to our state. The only thing that separates Nebraska from South Dakota is Nebraska football. I mean, that's what we have. It's what we're proud of. It's what everybody in the state rallies behind. Um, People from Southern California don't really understand that. I mean, we love USC and there are and there are Dodger fans and there are Lakers fans, but it's not like there's one thing around which the entire state is is proud of and loves. Uh, in Nebraska, in Alabama, in Oklahoma, that's exactly what you have. When when Lincoln Riley, if Lincoln Riley would have gone to the Dallas Cowboys, Oklahoma fans would have been upset, but they would have understood. But when Lincoln Riley goes to USC, for somebody from Oklahoma who, who loves the Sooners, that's like your wife leaving and going to live with your neighbor across the street, right? It is a personal insult, one they are not likely to get over. They're say, Lincoln Riley looked at the state of Oklahoma and said, this is the thing you guys are most proud of. It's the thing you most love. It's the thing that everybody talks about year round in this state. And I think it's not as good as what's down the street. That's what he said to them. Yep. You can imagine if, if Pete Carroll would have left USC to go coach at Notre Dame, we would have been furious, right? And we would have hated Pete Carroll for it, but it still wouldn't have been the same thing. And for Lincoln Riley to do that and then go to California all places where, you know, um, where from perspective of the average Sooners fan, it's a bunch of, um, uh, it's a bunch of kale eating, yoga doing hippies um, and, it's, uh, and it's surfers and it's soft. Right. I mean, we got that even when even when Pete Carroll was beating the tar out of everybody, every new opponent from the Big Ten or the Big 12 or from the SEC had the same perspective on USC that, oh, yeah, they're flashy, and, you know, but they're not tough. And Pete would go out and beat them into the ground. But that's what they thought. OU fans are beside themselves with rage. They won't get over it. They will hate Lincoln Riley until the day they until the day they die. <laughs> And I think it's glorious to watch. I can't wait until Lincoln Riley gets us in a big bowl game against OU and beats the Sooners. I can't wait. It's going to be so magnificent. Okay, Kevin, do you have the same <laughs> intense uh, anticipation like uh, brother uh, Chris? I, uh, yeah, I actually, I enjoyed the heck out of that. Um, I was just in Oklahoma, by the way, uh, just before Christmas for a few days. And um, so I had a chance to test the theory 
after I gave some prudent warning to my wife, Patty, <laughs> a multi-degree Trojan uh, herself, does not bring up the fact that we're Trojans, one, two, that I even thought about playing football at USC. And the ring on my finger is just a nice big ring. Don't worry about the fact that it, whatever. Uh, I said, because these guys are, are just crazy. Okay. Um, so I ended up having some conversations with some folks while I was there. It was nice. It was holiday time and folks were in fairly good spirits. Well, there was one exception and that was the OU people. They're not in good spirits. They're not happy to Chris's point. They are seriously, seriously pissed off. Even, now, this is how bad it is. Even the uh, Oklahoma State fans are pissed at, Lee, at Riley. Okay, so now they couldn't have had a better Christmas gift than Riley leaving OU, right? And they're pissed. Uh, and I think Chris hit it on the head nicely. It is for the state of Oklahoma football. Okay, whether it's uh, Oak State or OU, preferably OU in their, many people's mind, um, it's it is it is the um, it's what they do, and um, it's we uh, basically um, Coach Riley told them that their baby was ugly, and that just isn't going to work. How do you follow that? Well, we're going to find out. Mark, the baby is ugly. Uh, would you care to comment on the appearance of the baby? Not only is the baby ugly, but he's unsophisticated. I mean, on all these talk show junket circuits, you know, that they, they keep parading him around on, the question always comes up, you know, it was time for me and my family to grow. Um, you know, Oklahoma is, they were one of the last states admitted to the union for a reason. <laughs> they lack sophistication. They don't know how to cycle things in their minds clearly. So, and, and you see it on social media. I mean, you want to watch comedy? Go to Josh Ann's Twitter account and you will see some of the funniest stuff ever. I mean, for those of us who were allowed or who remember watching 55 to 19, there is a game thread from an Oklahoma Sooner site that is one of the funniest, most well-written comedies I have ever written, I've ever read in my entire life. I mean, they need to make it into a movie somehow. You have true visceral emotional feelings coming out of USC raping their team. And I'm saying, you know what? My wife feels so bad for me. She's gonna give me pity sex tonight. I'm out of here. That's the effect that USC and Southern California ha have left on Oklahoma. So when Lincoln Riley says, you're ugly, you're unsophisticated, we're moving to the place where it's pretty, the weather's nice, there's no tornadoes, and I don't have to deal with you psychopaths. Yeah, I mean, what else could there, this is great. We, USC might not be in a bowl game, but this is more fun to watch, let's be honest. Well, there's a fair amount of California psychos. I just come just for the record, right. having lived in Dallas, Texas. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> but play along with me here, Kevin. Okay. Well, I, I'll tell you guys, um, you know, the first time I saw Oklahoma in person was 1963. USC was playing uh, Oklahoma in the Coliseum. It was 100 degrees. Uh, 
I remember, I don't think there was more than 50,000, maybe 45, because it was so hot. And I remember my dad saying, I'm not going. My uncle Eddie was, uh, you know, it was his season ticket. I'm not going. It's way too hot. So they dropped me and a friend off. I remember walking to the Coliseum and the, they they had these bamboo uh, type of uh, things that players would sit under. And the Oklahoma guys wouldn't sit under them. It was like this was there. They were in their glory. And they come out, Bud Wilkinson, they had a running back named Joe Don Looney, oh, yeah. uh, who was just an absolute uh, animal out there. And it was a close game, but Oklahoma was physically the better team. And then uh, we go uh, to the 70s. I'm watching uh, Oklahoma, uh, you know, play, and they bring in Joe Washington, a uh, running back who mm-hmm. you have to see him to believe him. He was like watching a flea move from left to right. There's a thing on YouTube I encourage all of our listeners, viewers to go to. Uh, 73 USC Oklahoma and watch this ridiculous punt return by uh, Joe Washington and our, and our our colleague here Kevin can ex- I think attest to these he was one of the what had 150 players that tried to tackle him at the on that punt return well I missed him twice personally and that was one of my uh, better efforts too by the way compared to others so yeah it was I, I, a, I, I, it was a 28 second punt return that netted six yards it's the most exciting <laughs> six yards you will ever see in your life because it's crazy. Yeah. He went back about 25 yards and it was just like watching Houdini. Uh, amazing. But the point I'm going to make, then we go into the eighties and I, you know, I remember the, the wishbone with Switzer and, yeah. you know, Billy Sims and Elvis Peacock and all these great, great players that they had. Um, so where are we today? SC gets a coach of Oklahoma. They're completely have lost it, but you know, we're in a different time period. We're a different by a time. Period. Bud Wilkinson would have never done that. Uh, Barry Switzer wouldn't have done that. Uh, but Lincoln Riley, I think for some good reasons did do that. I think he's SC right now to me is like an expansion franchise in the NFL that, you know, they're really down to the, the base roots of it. He's going to chance to not follow in somebody's path like uh, maybe uh, Riley felt with Stoops. Uh, He's going to build his own program, and maybe we'll find out just how good a coach he is by doing it. We know that Robinson, when he he went to USC uh, to follow John McKay, he had a lot of McKay's players, and uh, he kind of lived off of that. He was a good coach, no no mistake about it, but he kind of lived off of it, and near the end of it, it started to slip a little bit. They got hammered uh, in the Fiesta Bowl with Marcus Allen, and, uh, you know, eyebrows kind of raised, and then John says, I'm retiring, and the next thing we know that uh, uh, J-Rob is going with the Rams. But then when he came back, I think in 70, 1993 or 94, somewhere in there, maybe it was 92, he was never the same coach. Uh, he couldn't build it up, uh, you know, from, from what he inherited from McKay. So it would be interesting to watch Lincoln Riley, but I think my comment to Oklahoma fans right now is get over it, deal with it, Move on. You think you got a good coach in Venables? You yeah. know, maybe, maybe you'll maybe you're going to see SC with the expanded playoffs face Oklahoma in the playoffs. I think it would be exciting. You'll get your chance for revenge, but you better beat the Trojans, or I'm going to tell you something. We got fans here that can be just as nasty in the pit of verbal attacks as anybody. So it'll be interesting to to follow. So let's get to that third quarter. Some of you mentioned it, so let's kind of just hit on a little bit. Uh, This linebacker situation, we're all concerned about the offense and defensive lines. 
However, with the inside the linebacker, Kanai uh, Malga, who I thought had a decent season last season, declaring for the NFL draft, the Trojans have only one, really only one inside linebacker starter returning in Raylan Goforth. Uh, are the Trojans in trouble for both the inside and outside linebacker position in, in 2022? Can it be fixed? Uh, Mark, can it be fixed? Uh, it, it has to be fixed. So I think that's the only way to answer that question. You know, I'm looking at the roster right now. you got Rajon Davis, Raylan Goforth, uh, Julian Simon, who I don't know what position they're going to put him at yet. Um, Kalana Makala, what position they're going to have him at. Is he going to come back? I doubt it. Uh, I mentioned, you know, Solomon Tulia Pupu uh, and Taylor Katoa. Well done. Yeah, so, you know, they're going to have to go get a few. I, I think this is that is a position of need from the portal is the linebacker. And it's not to say that, you know, the players that are coming back can't get the job done. You need depth. You need competition. Um, I mean, injuries happen, especially at the linebacker spot. So, yeah, um, that's where they're going to, in my opinion, they need to focus all their, not all, but 90% of their efforts in the portal is at that linebacker spot, without a doubt. Chris, you agree with that? Yeah, I'm, I think I think there are huge problems on the existing roster. It may be that Simon and, and Davis uh, are going to be good players. I don't know because we haven't seen them play yet. But it, and, and they may be and they may be ready to contribute. But linebacker has been a disastrous position for the last couple of years. And Malga, I liked, but I liked him because he was one of the few guys on defense that seemed to really want to play. And he played hard and he played aggressive and he would hit people. He was not a championship level linebacker, I don't think, for USC. He wasn't he wasn't a guy that would have played when Pete Carroll was around. Um, but, uh, but he worked hard and he played hard and, and I appreciated that. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what's left. You have the young guys who we haven't seen play go forth. Um, does anybody really believe at this point that go forth is a guy who's going to step in and be an all pack 12 caliber player? If so, then fantastic. That will mean he would have made tremendous strides from where he was. That position has been a problem for a few years. The recruiting has been underwhelming. And then where we had some good recruiting years, uh, you have Solo who doesn't play. And then you have, um, uh, uh, and then you have the guy who, who left for Ohio State who showed flashes as a freshman and got progressively worse after that. Um, so I don't know, man. If they don't find some people in the portal, then, yeah, I'm very concerned about that linebacker position. Kevin, you're a former linebacker. How concerning is it? Yeah. Um, well, look, they were bad this year. They were bad last year. They were bad the year before. Uh, we haven't had a good inside linebacker crowd in years. So that said, you need at least one. You need one playmaker who can get things done, make the calls, you know, get some TFLs, uh, some, make some big plays, cause others to up their game. We had guys that caused others to, I don't know what they were doing. And frankly, they didn't know what they were doing. It's not important that I know. It's important that they knew. They didn't know where to go. Even Malga, to Chris's point, he would hit you. Now, he didn't know why he was hitting you other than that he's supposed to. And he enjoyed it, actually, which was kind of cool. Um, but he was constantly out of position. He would miss some key tackles. And it's the type of 
a position with today's offenses where uh, you overrun a gap by half a gap. That's it. Just that's that's maybe a step, maybe not maybe not even quite a whole complete step. Uh, bang, gone. Uh, Stanford game. That's exactly what happened. It was Malga, by the way, um, who over pursued uh, by about you know two feet, and that's the type of mistakes that get people uh, get get you to lose a game, frankly. And that, and that was, you know, big play, big chunk play and uh, you know, stake in the heart before the game, even, you know, people got a chance to sit down. Um, so that said, look, a portal player, uh, it's going to be hard, I think, to find the right type of if a high quality linebacker presents in the portal. They're a highly sought after commodity because frankly, in other schools, they see the same thing. You, you got to have at least one, in that box who can close it. I tell you one of the best linebackers inside linebackers I've seen in years is Sewell up at Oregon, that guy, 255, blazing speed, right place, right time. And even when he's wrong, he's wrong with hustle intent. He's fast and he gets there and he makes a mess of things. Um, that's the type of linebacker that I look at. I go, Oh boy, that's one that got away that, that we really could have used. And uh, that's the type of player you need in those uh, box positions. Um, we don't, to Chris's point, and I think Mark even brought it up as well, we don't know what our youngsters are capable of, which is a travesty from, from a team that was, as you know, clearly not going anywhere. Why not play the youngsters, you know, and play them a lot? Um, because it, let them learn. And we, we just didn't get them spooled up, trained, uh, ready to play. And uh, frankly, we're going to pay a price. So now, okay, look, we're going to get somebody hopefully out of the portal. So kids are going to have to step up, learn how to play the game. And let me tell you what, playing linebacker is just, it's a, it is a violent position that is extraordinarily cerebral. Not a good combination, by the way, for long-term <laughs> brain health, but that's a sidebar. Mark, you um, want to say something here? Yeah, Greg, before you get started, I was in, and Kevin, you talked about this earlier, and I think we've all talked about it. I don't care if Dick Butkus reemerges through the portal. If it's the same scheme that we've been seeing, it doesn't matter who the linebackers are. Because I, I think that's the bigger issue. Yeah, I, Mark, I might slightly disagree. Well, not slightly. I think I disagree with you on okay. that. I think the scheme... Um, any scheme should work, right? Um, if you've got players that understand what you're trying to accomplish. What we did is we overcomplicated the heck out of it, right? And I think we all know that. Um, and then we tried to fit these defensive packages into place. We had our nickels, we had our dimes, we had our quarters uh, packages for certain, you know, third and eight, we have this group, third and 11, we have that group, uh, third and four, we have this group. We just outthought ourselves, frankly, on the, on the defense. And we guys got, you need, frankly, you need linebackers that are every down players, the great and even just really good linebackers play every down just about mostly. Okay. And, and that's the part I would like to see. Um, and then the scheme becomes less important because now you start to understand how to make it work for you. Our guys never understood what they were trying to accomplish, Mark. I have to tell you, it was just – it was not a pretty thing to watch. And for a former defensive player that has a little bit of knowledge here, and, and uh, Chris, same thing, even though he would watch it from afar, you know, boundary side or whatever. 
Um, guys didn't know where to go, what to do. And it, it showed. So it, it isn't just the player. It's how you play. So we'll see. I think we have a shot here to get it right. Um, the scheme, I'm not – honestly, I don't worry about scheme. As long as it's not a Tampa 2, you ask the middle linebacker that we're talking about to cover a deep post pattern uh, <laughs> like Kiffin did, um, which is nutso in the extreme. Um, as long as we don't do crazy stuff like that, I think we're, we're okay as long as the people understand how to play the game. The, uh, and I'll shut up here as quickly as I can, but we've got to get a defensive lineman that can get upfield and get in the backfield and get penetration. We get that going, disrupt the lanes, not just for running, but disrupt the lanes and throwing. Um, don't have to make sacks, but pressure, collapse the pocket, bring, bring a, a lot of arms up in the air, just make it very uncomfortable for quarterbacks. We made it so dang easy. It was, it was crazy, frankly, um, that we would even have a defense out there. And, and that's why we give up 63 points. That's, that's, I, I don't know how to do that in a season, let alone in one game. Well, I'll tell you that um, I'm concerned about the recruiting of linebackers. Uh, I was concerned and disappointed, understanding why, but when SC lost David Bailey to Stanford, uh, uh, who I think is going to be a sensational yeah. outside linebacker. I agree. Uh, when you're looking to have a foundation of great high school players that you're going to nurture and mature and are going to be impact players. He's definitely one of them. I'm not blaming Lincoln Riley at all. They put in a tremendous effort to get him. I mean, he was on campus enough times, but USC traditionally has had a problem when they go and recruit against Stanford. Sometimes it's hard to, hard to compete yep. with Stanford. It's just the way it is. I mean, if you've been to Stanford, you know, the type of players and you understand their culture so I'm, I'm concerned not only about the linebackers right now and how they fill the gap, but I'm really looking into the future near and far uh, that they're building linebackers. I would like to see them recruiting linebackers at the high school level. Uh, maybe they can find some uh, that are still out there that haven't signed for February. But my concern is let me see what the future is. I want to see uh, development, a foundation. So uh, the jury's out for me. I do think that scheme plays somewhat of it uh, when you're matching talent to players. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, Orlando played defense on his own defense uh, by doing what he did, which I think was uh, unfortunate. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's still about players. It's still about recruiting the right players and recruiting. The, I mean, look at Pete Carroll at one time. What did he have? Brian Cushing, uh, Ray Maluga. <laughs> And, and, and Clay Matthews, I mean, he had an NFL, I mean, they just ripped Penn State. I mean, they just tore him a new one on defense. They're, they're, so, they're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. They're still trying to figure it out. And my feeling yeah. is it, it starts off with recruiting. You got to give Lincoln some chance to, to build some momentum there. Maybe Grinch will get things going. We hope so. So with that being said, now we're going to go in the fourth quarter. And I'm so excited about this that uh, you're all going to sit there and go, what a stupid idea this was. But let me bring into you what I've been waiting to do. We're in the fourth quarter. So I am going to light the uh, ceremonial Coliseum torch. There we go. Uh, so now we're into the fourth quarter. Uh, this actually here kind of looks like the torch. 
but I figured I would try this out and see how it works. And if it gets booed off the air, then at least I gave it the old college try. So while the torch is burning, let's go to the fourth quarter panel. It appears that the head coach Lincoln Riley has just about filled out his coaching staff. Uh, one unfulfilled position that we know of is the running back coaching position. How important is it to hire a running back coach as soon as possible? Uh, we know that Mark has a little bit of insight. We'll get to you in a second, Mark, and we'll appreciate anything that you can donate. But Kevin, how important is it uh, to have the um, running back to the position filled ASAP? Yeah, it's important. Uh, it's not a showstopper. I, I think uh, I like the pace and the uh, de determined way that Coach Riley is going about filling the players as well as coaching staff and, and administrative staff on top of that. Uh, I really like that. Very, very uh, determined, very uh, thoughtful. Uh, the man has a mission and a purpose. He sees a way that he wants it done, and there it is. That's why you pay a guy, you know, that kind of money is to bring in to those uh, the coaches and players that are going to do uh, that, which uh, you, you know are, is a winning formula, which, by the way, he knows what a winning formula looks like. We haven't had a coach who knows a winning head coach that's known a winning formula in decade, something like that, in that neighborhood. Okay. So uh, now, as far as a running backs coach, it's important. Um, running backs are more important. So that's really kind of <laughs> – they're kind of hand in glove, uh, I would say. Uh, so but I am confident that there will be a good uh, uh, position filled for that, for that role. Um, and it will uh, ultimately it will uh, help us uh, develop a, an offense that uh, really gets the job done. Um, if you're running back out of the portal or anywhere, I mean, I don't care where you're coming from, you know, um, wouldn't you like to play for uh, a Lincoln Riley team? Wouldn't you like to play at USC? Wouldn't you like to play in a team that uh, basically you're going to come in and get founders equity? Because this program is going to be, in a totally different spot, you know, a year, two years from now. And people are going to say, yeah, I remember. Do you remember when kind of thing? And, and we'll get there. But, yeah, look, we need good coaches just like we need good players. So it'll happen. All right, Mark, you've got some insight in this. I know you can't divulge everything, and we respect that. But what, what can you tell us that you can tell us? Let's put it that way. So, you know, without divulging anything, um, I've been told that, Lincoln Riley and the new running back coach have agreed to work together. Um, and it's, it's going to be a good pickup to the staff. I mean, I think everybody's focused on the, the, the marquee names like DeMarco Murray and for all, and we know that's who it is. Um, right now, USC has two really good young running backs on their roster. Uh, Barlow and, jeez, um, oh, why is my, uh, help me out here. Why is my Why am I losing the name all of a sudden? Well, hopefully Ingram. Brandon Campbell. Jesus yeah. Christ, man. Yeah. Um, so you, you need a running back coach if you want to recruit somebody. Uh, you can't just say, hey, guys, come play, and we're going to have a good coach for you. What Lincoln Riley has working for him is his running game's history in his offense. So that works to his advantage by not publicly naming a running back coach. Now, the recruits know who it is. And I think you're going to see one or two jump on board really quickly um, once this name 
becomes public. And I think that's going to happen right after the New Year's Day Bowls. Um, that's the time frame to play with. All right. So, well, we'll look forward to that announcement coming up, and then you can spill everything you know on the next time we talk if it's been named. Uh, Chris, what, what's your thoughts on the importance of getting this running back coach? You know, I don't know how quickly it has to be done. That depends on whether or not you think you have to get this guy in place in order to land the kid from Nevada. Um, if that's uh, if that's something you're worried about, I don't I don't have any insight into that. I will say this: uh, Lincoln Riley has recruited and coached some outstanding running backs. He may be from the air raid tree, but this is a guy who understands and values running the ball. And so I don't doubt for a second that he's going to find somebody that uh, that will do a very good job in that position. I also don't doubt that they're going to recruit some really good backs. And, uh, and you know, running back is maybe the easiest position for a true freshman to step in and excel at. Um, so uh, I do think there's some good young backs uh, on the roster. I'd love to see Keontae come back because yeah. I thought he was uh, he was turning into a special player. Um, but that, uh, unlike, unlike inside linebacker, I think running back is a place where you can go get a guy out of high school and plug him in and be good almost right away. Uh, if he can do a little bit of pass blocking. So I, I suspect he'll make a good hire, whether it has to be done today or a week from today or two weeks from today. I don't really have an opinion on that because I don't know how it's going to affect the, um, the current recruiting. Okay, well, I'll, I'll end this part of the discussion uh, by saying I think it's not the most important position in, in of what and needs because I think that uh, they'll find a good running back. Uh, you know, I had heard the name Tommy Robinson at one point, uh, was interested in coming back. Uh, and we know, based on what we saw with the offensive line situation, who we think it's going to be isn't necessarily who we think it's going to be. Uh, I know for me, when people say, well, how do you know if he's coming or going, I always go to the to the uh, official website of where a guy is at the moment uh, and say, do they still have his picture and biography still uh, listed on the uh, coaching staff? And I still see guys on the coaching staff that are supposed to not be on the coaching staff. So uh, I think Mark, you reported that Tuesday, there's a meeting uh, uh, with the SC, supposedly the staff, is that correct? The, the staff that's currently, you know, pre-announced is having their meeting. Okay. They're not announcing the staff until everyone is officially on board. Gotcha. That, that's not what this, that's not what tomorrow's meeting is about. Well, it's we know their, when, it, it's their staff meeting without the full staff. Cool. By the way. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. The team, <laughs> yeah. the team itself is supposed to be back. I believe January 11th uh, is when they start their winter workouts as a team. So the staff will be in place by then. I, I guess that we can use as a, as our points of interest. Well, I think we can pretty much agree that if we don't hear something now, we'll hear it after the Rose bowl, after these, these games. And, you know, they're going to have a running backs coach. So why, why you know, <laughs> athlete on it and say, Oh my God, are we going to go through a season without a running backs coach? But uh, to Kevin's point, and then I'll, we'll wrap it up here and go into overtime with a quickie. Uh, I think that, um, excuse me, while I take the torch, Actually, I like the Torah. You just blew the dang thing out. Huh? I know. But you know what? That was a good sign. You like it. I, yeah. I have to make sure that it doesn't drip all over my dining room table. So I was, uh, Okay. I'm just glad the, you didn't do a Michael Jackson on us, Greg. Well, yeah. I did notice your Canners t-shirt from the present that I promised you for the uh, corned beef sandwich uh, on my holiday gift giving on the ONSO, but then appreciated that. Um, 
I think that the running backs thing, uh, going back to, uh, I think Chris mentioned it, uh, Kevin may have mentioned it. Look at this guy's going to have a running attack. It's going to be a power running attack. He's going, and this is something to pay attention to the offensive lineman that he recruits. They do like to almost do what they call the old Washington Redskins counter tray. They like to pull the backside tackle and the backside guard. We're not used to seeing that uh, in recent times because the guys are too big and not athletic enough to pull out. But that's one of uh, Lincoln Riley's pet plays. It's kind of like a, a counter tray. And, uh, you know, it, it would be good for the defense to practice that against that play more than one time. Okay. Because we're so susceptible to that. I'm, I'm sick and tired of it, frankly. Sorry. I had to interject that. No, that's fine. I know when I coached uh, the football groups that I, we ran something similar to that. And I thought the best way of teaching our defensive line, how to deal with it is every time they got trapped from a weak side guard or tackle, they learned to let's not come across the line of scrimmage so fast and be concentrating on the ball carrier. We might want to see who's going to knock my head off first. That's right. You'll be, stuff it. you'll be staring out of your ear hole, frankly. That's right. That's yeah. right. So they'll have a running backs coach. I'm really excited about uh, when word gets out that SC is going to be running the ball with power. And uh, I think that's one thing that the panel and I hopefully everyone will agree upon. I can't wait to see it. I've seen enough of pretending we're going to be physical. So with that in mind, let's wrap things up with the overtime. Uh, it's really kind of a two-part quick question. Uh, the first one is going to be, first of all, your thoughts on Keaton Slovis transferring to the University of Pittsburgh. Let's do a quick snap on that, and then I'll get to the final question quickie too. Uh, let's, let's start off with um, uh, Chris. Let's, let's start off with, your, with you and uh, what's your thoughts with the Keaton Slovis going to Pittsburgh? I wish him the best. Um, he was, uh, he was a good player for us and I don't think there's a role for him going forward. I hope he does really well and I hope he stays healthy. All right, Kevin, what, what, what's your thoughts on, uh, Keaton moving over to the, uh, Midwest area? Yeah. ACC guy and Pitt. Um, I like Chris, I just wish him nothing but the best. I think uh, he was a great Trojan. Um, unfortunately got coached down, not up. Uh, which is regrettable because the guy's got a gun for an arm. He's got a great mind. He can see the field now. He can do a lot of things. He can hit the windows like you can't believe. Just give him an offensive line that can block for him and give him uh, the patterns that uh, that will uh, be there. He'll uh, he'll have a, a good time at, at Pitt. Yeah, he's susceptible to injuries, but maybe he'll fill out, fill out a little bit. And if we ever play Pitt, we're going to do a cover eight. Okay. <laughs> wow. That, that was a good one. I didn't think about that. That's why you're on the panel. Uh, Mark, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, to echo Chris and Kevin, we wish them the best. Um, the P is still undefeated. Um, Pittsburgh is, I believe is where a good friend of Keaton goes to school. She plays on the soccer team. So, his girlfriend, right? Yeah, congratulations to Pittsburgh, the P. It's still undefeated. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably a really good place for him. They play more of a conventional type of offense, you know, offensive linemen, run the ball, none of this flashy air raid stuff. So, yeah, you know, if this can help Keaton improve his draft stock that dropped this year, because um, like Kevin said, you know, he's got the tools to be an NFL quarterback. Now it's just a matter of getting him from day two or day three draft stock back up to day one. Good luck. I hope he, I hope he gets it. 
All right. I'll, I'll just say this very quickly. I think he's a great kid. I think he got ripped off, in my opinion, uh, by a coaching staff that didn't really know what the hell that they were doing. Uh, and I think that will become even more evident through the Lincoln-Riley years when you really see the, the, the chasm between a good coach and one that's really not a very good coach. I wish him nothing but the best. The only thing I hope for him, I hope he has a good offensive line. He's already taken enough punishment as it is. So listen, I want to wrap this up quickly. Uh, what are your plans for New Year's Eve uh, coming up on Friday? Uh, let's start off with uh, Chris. What are you doing for New Year's Eve? I'm hanging out on a boat with uh, Mark Culkin. I knew and, you were uh, going there. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's New BYOB, Year's. Bro. It's <laughs> Come on now. Look, New Year's, uh, New Year's Day is not the same when USC is not good. And so I'll watch the Rose Bowl. I always do. Um, but, um, but I have no excitement over it. I, I, what I'm excited about is a new regime and a new coach who actually knows what he's doing. I can't wait to look forward to New Year's Day again. Yeah, I amen to that, by the way. Uh, Kevin, what's your plans for New Year's Eve? And we might as well say, what are you doing on New Year's Day? Yeah, well, New Year's Eve is um, I'm hosting a, a dinner. I'm not cooking, by the way, so that's good. Um, and uh, just uh, friends and, uh, and family, and I'm sure that's very excited. I'm going to add MD 2020 to the wine list. So just for just for the record here, guys, so we might as well stay with the uh, the new drink of WeRSC.com. Um, I'm slamming those babies down. I mean, and I don't even drink. So there you go. Um, okay. So with respect to the bowl game, I don't watch like Chris. I'll watch the Rose Bowl. I'm pretty interested to see what Utah does to Ohio State. Ohio State has basically said they're they're beneath us. Uh, they gave what 19 or 20,000 tickets back to the, the Rose Bowl committee, of which I think the lion's share of those went to the uh, uh, Utah and they snapped up their, their, their first allotment. They snapped up in a heartbeat and uh, they'll snap up whatever's available and they'll, they'll pack. <laughs> it's a big stadium, it does hold a lot of folks. Um, oh, by the way, that uh, Rose Bowl recollection that I shared that was still the largest Rose Bowl. Uh, crowd in the history of the uh, Rose Bowl game, by the way, 106,000 and change. By the way, just thought I'd share that. I don't think they'll get 106 in this one because they can't fit it with fire marshals will be in there and the, and the COVID police that California has will be running people out of town anyway. But uh, I uh, always like to watch the Rose Bowl and then thereafter, frankly, I'm like, Chris, I don't care. I really don't. I truly don't care. I, I just, I, look, can I watch practice? Can I watch like the weightlifting workout at USC, I'd rather do that. I have to tell you. So there you go, Mark. What's happening New Year's Eve? Canners, what are you yeah, doing? Here, I will not be on a boat. There will not be any grape wine involved. Um, but I'm thinking about going over to Canners and grabbing a big old pastrami sandwich and bringing it home. Uh, yeah, you know what? It, you talk. We're talking about players opting out of. Games like the Rose Bowl, fans saying if we're not going because we're not in the playoffs. It, it's really hard to stay excited around college football this time of year, especially with you know all the other factors we're dealing with. So I'm just going to be hanging out in pastrami, watching college football, and uh, you know, like Kevin, hoping that uh, I'll be able to go to spring practices, 
watch some of this stuff, be able to report on it for you, because that's another thing that I'm a little concerned about. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll wrap this up by saying uh, I learned a new tradition last year, so I'm going to do it this year. My girlfriend's coming over. Sharon, since she watches the show, uh, I gave her a plug there. Uh, we are going to make, again, P.F. Chang's frozen dinners. Uh, we make <laughs> Chinese food. Uh, we get about uh, five or six different entrees. You know, we got the fried rice and the and the uh, egg rolls. And uh, she likes broccoli beef and I don't. And she, I like orange chicken and uh, sweet and sour chicken. It's all good. Saturday, I will uh, watch the games. Uh, I love the Rose Bowl. I used to go. One of the things I learned when I started going to Rose Bowl games where SC wasn't in it, it was still exciting. It's an event. And I remember seeing Stanford uh, upset Ohio State on a Rod Garcia field goal uh, back in the early 70s. So it's still the Rose Bowl. I uh, I have a lot of friends that say I will not root for Utah. And I go, wait a minute, they're part of the Pac-12. I have to root for Utah. I don't understand people who say, I root for everyone, you know, UCLA. I know there's a, you know, the great rivalry, but look at, doesn't the Pac-12 take enough beating and when they're, when your own fans are going to start beating up and rooting for the opposition, it doesn't make. Uh, I'm not rooting for the Bruins, Cats. I, I don't, don't even start with that, but I will root for Utah. I you know, and that's a beautiful note, I think, to end this particular podcast. So on that note, <laughs> Uh, we, I want to thank all of our participants, Kevin, uh, Chris, Mark. I uh, wish you guys the best uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day with you and your close, close friends. Um, and to all of our fans, again, until next Tuesday, I uh, want to thank all of you for watching and listening to Inside the Trojan Settle. Have yourselves all a great New Year's uh, Eve and a New Year's Day. Stay safe. Do the right thing. Enjoy yourself. And fight on, everybody. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 